Welcome to Fire Away, Rudner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator and your host of this season three, episode five of Fire Away or episode four of COVID-19 Fire Away edition. Fire Away streams live every, online every month and episodes are always available on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, on LinkedIn and on our website. If you are watching live, we'd be happy to answer your questions. So feel free to ask them by either posting a comment on Facebook or YouTube or tweeting to at Rudner Law and we'll be happy to answer those questions. For today's episode, I'm very happy to be joined by two guests. First, we've got Jody Ziegelstein Yip, who is the Chief HR Innovator and Founder at Enliven HR Consulting. I love the term Chief HR Innovator. I want to be the Chief Employment Lawyer at Rudner Law. I think I'm going to change my <laughs> title. Uh, so Jody, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And secondly, we have Dr. Shamik Kotecha, who is a dentist and also the founder of the Kotecha GPS Club, helping those in the dental industry find their way. Uh, Dr. Kotecha, which I will quickly start calling you Sham, thank you so much for joining right. us as well. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the discussion. Uh, not surprisingly, we're still talking about COVID-19 and its impact on the workplace and how we navigate through all the workplace issues that are arising. Uh, as I said last month, we're now in a new new phase, I guess not as new anymore. It's now the back to business, recovery, whatever you wanna call it. Uh, whatever it is, people are going back to work and we probably have more questions than we ever had before. So as we go through this, mm -hmm. you know, questions arise about how you bring people back to work, what happens if they can't come back to work, what happens if they don't want to come back to work, uh, but also a lot of discussions about safety in the workplace and what the obligations are and how you implement those. So I always start from the legal proposition, which sounds very simple, that employers have an obligation to make all reasonable steps or take all reasonable steps to provide a safe workplace, which sounds great in theory, but day-to-day -day practice is very different. How do you know what exactly you're supposed to do? Do you have to ensure physical distancing? Do you have to provide PPE? Are there certain types of PPE you have to provide? Can an employee refuse to come to work if you don't provide the PPE? Uh, and the dental industry, as Sham, you will talk about <laughs> in a lot more detail, yeah. <laughs> is particularly impacted by this. You've got competing guidelines uh, between mm -hmm. the dental associations and the dental hygienist associations. Uh, which just makes it even more confusing. So, Chad, maybe you can start off by explaining a bit about what's going on, and then we can talk about how you deal with these things. Sure. Uh, so we we in the dental industry were allowed to come back to work starting last week uh, with seeing general patients. The guidelines from my college, or RCDSO, came out originally on May 22nd, and then were revised on May 31st. The College of Hygienists, the CDHO, also released guidelines around the same time as the RCDSO, but then did not revise them. So the conflict we're finding right now is we have two separate guidelines that are very different for both dentists and hygienists. And with the, the ones for dentists allow us to work with uh, significant changes to what was there before, but still allowing us to function normally on our day-to-day -day basis while the hygiene guidelines are much more restrictive and have actually put hygienists pretty much between a rock and a hard place. Either they have to listen to their college or they'll have to listen to their, their employers. So those are the issues that we are dealing with here daily. And I have a lot of colleagues whose dentists, whose hygienists are not coming back to work 
So we don't know how to deal with that because we don't know the we're, we're trying to navigate the legal requirements. Yeah, I mean, it's it's even tougher, I think, than a lot of employers are facing. And and I know we were talking a little bit uh, offline before the show, and I think you were saying that uh, I'm not sure if it was your one of your clinics or somebody else's where there were 16 hygienists and not one had come back. Yeah, it's one of my colleagues. <laughs> yeah, and so what are you seeing generally? Are 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 they are people finding a solution, or are they just not really sure what to do? I think it's well, this their requirements are largely due to are about PPE and the requirements that they're asking us for are not, we can't, the supply chain is not there. And also it makes a dental appointment quite expensive. So you couple that with the fact that our requirements are very different. What dentists are doing is either they're not calling back their hygienists or they're working in a modified schedule. It's a really tough scenario. Like I have two locations and in one location we're doing Hence, like we're just knowing that we're not creating aerosols in the hygiene room and it's changing that. While my other location, the hygienists don't want to do that. They want what their college is asking for, which is very difficult for many dentists to accommodate purely based on both cost and space. Yeah, I mean, that's, we have a lot of clients in the dental industry as well. So I've seen this firsthand. We've tried to help some clients work through it. It's a challenge. Um, Jody, what are you seeing, I guess, in the, the broader economy and different types of businesses? Are, are you seeing a lot of conflict between employer and employee as far as what has to be done to make sure the workplace is safe before people come back? Yeah, and I think what's happening right now is people are just trying to understand, especially from an employer standpoint, what are my obligations? Uh, what do I need to be able to do to keep employees safe? How do I need to put protocol in place to ensure that they're safe? And then going to communicate that. And we already have individuals who, uh, from an employee perspective, who are suffering from extreme anxiety about even the thought of traveling on public transit, for example. Um, you know, getting into an elevator, for example, into an office tower and how they're going to deal with that. And so we've been working with clients to figure out how do they over communicate what the protocol is going to be far in advance of people even coming back to the workplace so that we can help set people at ease and that they are taking the appropriate steps to protect employees. Um, but we are finding that some people are really digging in their heels and saying, you know, I can't come back under these circumstances, even though the employer is going to the far extent and even more so than what is kind of the guidelines. Yeah, I think that's coming up a lot. And I think you hit on a key point, which is communication. Like I've seen a lot of employers who have just sent out a notice often by email, which just says, you're expected to come back to work next Monday, period, uh, without explaining what is being done to ensure the workplace is, is going to be safe. And also mm -hmm. explaining what the obligations of the employee are to maintain a safe workplace. So communication is critical, but uh, you kind of brought up another another really important point. I mean, this is a question you know, my team is getting many times every day. What if we have an employee who doesn't want to come back to work? What if we have an employee who says they can't come back to work? Uh, so I guess, Nisham, we'll start with you. I mean, what are you seeing as far as how those situations are being dealt with? Well, we've had I mean, so the biggest concern I've faced is some of my team members not having childcare. And so even though I've recalled them, getting them, many of my colleagues, we have the same questions. We don't know what our responsibility is on that. 
how, how reasonable do we have to be? I mean, we all want to be good employers in a safe work environment, but at the end of the day, we still have to run a business. So that's, so for me, what I had done is I had said to my team, uh, I, I, anyone who had childcare issues, I was willing to be accommodating partially because I have kids. I understand that. So what I did is I said to the end of June, when you would expect it to be in school, I will be okay with a modified work schedule. But after July 1st, when realistically you would already had to have something in place, we can reassess it at that time. And that's what I have done in my, both my offices. Yeah, I think you made a really key point. I mean, there's the legal implications, which I will talk about ad nauseum, but there's also yeah. the practical and being realistic. So, and especially if you are a parent, you get it. Um, <laughs> Jody, what are you what are you seeing, or what are you recommending to your clients when they have employees who just say they can't come back? I always tell the client to kind of seek to understand the rationale for not wanting to come back. And if there are legitimate reasons, whether their immune system may be compromised, we have some people who are working from home right now who are pregnant and don't feel safe coming back. Um, what are some of the um, you know, accommodations that could potentially be put in place. So I always say to the client, kind of seek to understand the nature of what the concerns are. See if you can combat some of those concerns, whether it's talking about more personal protective equipment that you're going to be providing um, or enhanced, um, you know, sanitizing, uh, you know, of certain areas just to kind of set people at ease. Um, but, you know, I, I, similar to Sham, I'm thinking, you know, there has to be a point in time where either people, you know, self-regulate and come back or choose to kind of move on. So, you know, while I, I understand the whole accommodation process, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm quite uh, sympathetic towards that, you still have to run a business. Yeah, and look, this is one of my pet peeves. And then when I get my chance to fire away later in the show, this is what I'm going to talk about is people who just don't understand what their rights and their obligations are. And we've got mm -hmm. individuals who think they actually have the right to decline the recall and just say, I'll come back later. And you've also got employers who think that they have they can't do anything about that, uh, which of course is absolutely untrue. And and like you said, Jody, we encourage our clients if they have someone who says, "I'm not coming back," you need to engage in this a discussion and find out if there is a legitimate reason. Maybe this is because they're immunocompromised. Maybe they have childcare obligations, or maybe they just don't want to work. And and those are very different situations. And depending on the business and depending on your business needs, you can be more aggressive or I've had some, some clients say, you know what, we only need 70% of our, of our workforce back. So we're quite happy if some people say, look, I'm not coming back for now. So you've got to assess all that. But uh, I just, I, it drives me crazy when people make these decisions without really understanding what their rights are. So uh, a lot of people are risking their jobs because if you just refuse to go back or ignore the recall notices I've seen a few times now, and uh, you may be deemed to have resigned, uh, in which case not only will you lose your job, you're not going to get EI or the serve either. So uh, it's a really bad move, which a lot of people are doing. So I, I wanted to switch gears. I know we talked a bit about this uh, last week when we were preparing for this, uh, but I'm getting this question more and more often this week, which is how, how, how much can an employer delve into their employees' personal lives or, or off-duty conduct in the name or with the goal of ensuring workplace safety? And the examples that are being given are, you know, there was a huge gathering in, in a downtown Toronto park a few weekends ago where people were clearly not physically distancing. There have been protests in, in many, many cities in the last few weeks uh, where, again, physical distancing is not always being respected. So can you ask 
an employee what they've been doing on their own time if it's in the name of maintaining safety. Uh, maybe Jody, we'll start with you this time. What, uh, what are you doing in that regard? Well, what I've said to clients is you do have the right to screen employees when they are coming back into work. And so whether you decide to institute a daily screening or a weekly screening, you do have the right to ask uh, people some core questions right now because what you don't want to risk is the health and safety of anybody else in your environment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, th I think what's really important right now is that you get good legal advice on what's happening. And so can you ask certain questions, yes or no? Uh, you know, can you ask whether people are observing physical distancing, um, you know, requirements? I think you probably could ask some level of question regarding physical distancing and whether people are respecting it. Um, but you certainly can ask if people have had a fever. Uh, we've, you know, we've suggested even the last 72 hours, have you had a fever? Uh, you know, do you exhibit any of the symptoms? But I think screening is really important mm -hmm. when you are considering going back. Yeah, I think we've got to be careful. I mean, everyone has privacy rights. And in most of the time, you can't ask these questions. Um, but where, the, where there's a legitimate purpose for doing so, and where you are respecting people, people's privacy as much as possible, then it is legitimate. And obviously, we're in very different circumstances now than we normally would be. Um, Sham, when we talk about a dental clinic, very yeah. different. And of course, there's no physical distancing when you're treating patients. No. Um, no. But have you seen people asking questions or, or, or doing yeah. this thing that Joey's talking about? Yeah. So... Uh, in our office, and most dental offices, I think, across Ontario and Canada are pretty similar, is we're doing a lot of screening. So patients get screened 48 hours before by a form. Then they get re-screened when they come to the office. Uh, and then we also take their temperature at right when they get to the office. Now, what I've done in my office, and I think most dentists are doing this, is because we've been asked this, is we're doing the same thing for us. We're being screened exactly the same way that our patients are, which is put patients at ease because they want to know that they're coming to a safe place. Uh, we're always wearing our protect our PPE and we're screening. We take our temperature twice a day. So I get, I walk in in the morning and my front desk takes my temperature and at lunchtime, she'll come back around and takes her temperature again, which is extreme, but it's the only way we can really test uh, or try to prevent it from becoming a problem in your office. And where I see a problem for in particular in dentistry is we had a lot of summer vacations planned along the summer. And the questions I've been asked by my team is, do they have to self-isolate after they come back if they do venture outside of Canada or if they go to, you know, there's certain hotspots in our country, if they venture to those, like what are my legal requirements on that? And that those are questions that I, we keep coming up with. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And it's funny because, you know, way back when in, in middle of March, when this all started and, and actually our fire away show, I think we were supposed to talk about human rights and we very quickly changed and talked about COVID. And at the time, of course, the borders were, were still open. So we were mm -hmm. spent a lot of time talking about employee travel and what you do. Of course, that was irrelevant for the last three months, um, but it's <laughs> going to become relevant again. You're right. Mm -hmm. People are now going to start to travel. Um, and again, normally you wouldn't have the right to ask where they were and what they did, uh, but you probably have the right and, and arguably the obligation because you have that duty to, to protect your other employees. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that question as we go forward. And I'm not sure, Jody, I've, I don't, most of the clients I've seen have not, are not there yet, but if you've got clients who are actually starting to talk about you know, travel in the summer, 
Yeah, it's more about um, if they are traveling for business. So if business travel is resuming, then what's going to happen? Do people need to self-isolate when they come back from business travel, even if they're going to a different province within Canada? So even simple things like that, people are starting to navigate those types of situations. I haven't had too many people. I think a lot of people are doing staycations this year uh, mm -hmm. just because they are really concerned about the, the likelihood of having to self-isolate when they return. Uh, I know I was away for March break and uh, had to self-isolate when I got home and I would encourage encourage clients that yes, people, if they are traveling, that they should be self-isolating as long as this is still as much of an issue as it is right now. Yeah, well, that, that makes sense. So the other thing, and it gets back to you know, off-duty conduct, and I had this happen to a client of mine a few days ago where one of their staff went to HR and said, look, I've heard that so-and-so had basically a backyard party over the weekend and had a bunch of people there and they were not social distancing. So, and, and so yeah. what, you know, the HR person said was, okay, you know, we'll look into it. And if that's true, we'll, we'll ask them to self-isolate and we'll, we'll send them home. Uh, but then the employee pushed it further and said, well, as far as I'm concerned, the whole workplace now is unsafe. It's all contaminated, basically. So I think we should shut down completely, uh, which I think would have been a bit of an overreaction. But uh, have, have you guys seen this? Or if you had that situation, what, uh, what, what, would, you, what would be your advice at that point? I'm going to pass this to Joey because <laughs> I hope I don't have to deal with that. Very brave. I hope you don't either. <laughs> Uh, so we did deal with a situation with a client a few weeks ago where um, a individual uh, was tested positive in one location and then we found out that um, their relative was in a different location for the employer and had spent time together over the weekend and it was enough for us to ask the employee who had spent time with the individual to go and get tested um, and then to self-isolate. And the employee was not too pleased uh, with us asking them to self-isolate and go get tested. And they actually refused going to get a test, mm -hmm. which has caused the employer to kind of question, do we even let them back into the workplace uh, without a negative test indicating that they are actually negative of COVID? Right. Yeah, which is an interesting one. The other thing that comes up in that situation is you've now ordered someone to go home and stay off work. So do you have to pay them? Mm -hmm. uh, which and I know this came up a lot at the beginning of COVID. It's going to come up again now. And you know, as, as I've often said, the general rule is that if someone cannot work, you know, if they have tested positive and they're ordered to stay at home, it's kind of like a sick day. You can't go to work, you're homesick. And if you have policies or plans for sick days, then you may be paid. Otherwise, it's unpaid. Uh, but if it's the employer saying, you know, if the employee says, I'm ready to come to work and the employer says, no, stay home, then generally speaking, you're going to have to pay them. Yeah. So that's what we're, we're navigating now. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, as you were talking about people in different locations, it made me think of dentists and hygienists in particular. Uh, so Sham, are, are you seeing this? I know a lot of hygienists work in different clinics. Uh, yeah, you know, it actually uh, came up in a discussion forum that I'm part of where a a dentist has an assistant that works in a, a few different offices and he was questioning whether she's allowed to do that and it was a lively discussion where dentists brought up legislation that had been printed off of different sources and there was a group that said basically they have to pick one office and stay with it and they used largely the long-term care facilities as their example but then there are others that said they're nurses that work in different facilities and hospitals, and they're not required to do that. So it was an ambiguous answer. And I can see that being 
a problem if you have a hygienist that works in different clinics and what's their screening requirement versus our screening requirement. I mean, those are questions that I have as an employer and other employees are going to have. So mm-hmm. I have come across it. I mean, lucky for me in my current situation, um, my hygienists only work in my office because I'm, I don't have a lot of part-timers. I'm mostly a full-timer. So that's, I did, I'm glad I have, don't have to deal with that, but, I'd love to know the answer and how you do deal with that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we all would. I mean, it's, and I say I don't mean to be facetious, but you know, it's it is it's a really challenging issue because you got people working in two or three locations, and you, it's harsh to say you can only pick one, which dramatically reduces their income. Uh, but it's also kind of scary if you don't know what kind of pro- uh, protection is being provided in the other locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are all working through those those issues as well, unfortunately. Um, and so as I've said to you guys a few times, uh, time flies by where I think we're just about out of time. There was one other issue I was going to ask you, and I have to admit, as I was commenting there, it totally slipped my mind. Uh, I'm just trying to look through my notes to see if I can find it quickly. Any other tips that you got while I'm looking? Any other tips that you guys have that you want to share with everyone? Well, for one, I just say communicate. I think that's, I don't think it, I think Jody would agree with me. Just talk to your employees, find out what they, what their concerns are. Cause sometimes it's, you think what their issue is, is very different than what it is. If it comes via text or email, which is what most communication seems to happen these days, have a conversation. So I had that issue in one, in one of my locations where one of the team members had an issue and we talked it through. So that would be my only advice is communicate. And then, the other thing I would say is get legal advice if you need it. <laughs> I was about to jump in and say that. So thank you for, for saying it for me. <clears throat> Jody, what about you? Yeah, from my perspective, I agree with Sham. I think what's really important right now is the idea of over communicating with team members, really making sure that you've got good process in place and that you've documented your process and your protocol really well. Uh, and, and, you know, in my mind, I always think, you know, how do we best communicate with employees if they're not around right now? Like if they're physically still at home or not working, uh, you can always do a pulse survey and just send out what are their expectations when coming back into the workplace and that you, you know, you'll look at what their recommendations are. However, you may not adhere to every single recommendation, but you are soliciting their feedback on what they think, you know, is appropriate in the circumstances. Again, you may not necessarily follow all of it, I think what uh, the other thing that's really important when we're preparing um, people to come back is that we're assessing their mental health and making sure that they feel well equipped to come back and that they uh, they feel safe to come back and that they know that they have internal resources that they can leverage when they uh, when they are coming back or even right now just to help prepare them for uh, coming back into the workplace. Yeah, it's a great point. And actually one point that we didn't cover yet, which is that we talked about communicating what is being done, what is expected of the employees, but also what remedies or resources are available. So if they think the workplace is unsafe, they have concerns, suggestions, whatever, people need to know, you know who to talk to and what's going to be done. So communication is key. I think you guys are both pretty, pretty consistent on that. So I think that's about all the time we have for our discussion. So Sham, Jody, thank you both so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much you. for having thank me. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much. All right, and now, uh, now I get my turn to fire away. So for today, I'm, I'm going to make a very simple request to everyone. This applies to employers and employees. 
please stop making decisions based upon assumptions. At the beginning of the pandemic, we saw a lot of employers who were laying people off because they assumed they had the right to do so. And as a result, we might see a lot of constructive dismissal claims in the future, which might cost those employers a lot more than the money they saved by laying people off for a little while. Although they might actually benefit from the fact that the employees might also make the same assumption, which is that the employer had the right to do so. A lot of mistakes were being made when this all began, and that was somewhat understandable because of the rush we were in. This all started, it was very unexpected. People were scrambling to adapt to totally unanticipated circumstances. Now we're at a very different stage. We're getting back to work. It's a very gradual process. There's a lot more time and a lot more time to get proper legal advice before you act. And yet we're still seeing people making decisions without understanding the legal implications. We're still seeing employees who, are, who think they have the option to decline their recall to work after a layoff. And we're seeing employers who think the same thing and don't think they can do anything about it. We're also seeing employers who are bringing people back, but then cutting their hours or cutting their pay dramatically and not realizing that they're risking a claim against them on that basis. The end result of all of this is that business owners or whoever is handling HR are under underestimating their rights in some ways, which costs the business money. They're also overestimating their rights in other ways, which exposes them to liability. And individuals are risking their jobs in many cases, all because they didn't take the time to get a proper understanding of the legal implications before they made these decisions. The team at Rudner Law has been doing our best to give a lot of information for free and disseminated as widely as we can, which includes our guide to getting back to business, which is a 30 page booklet filled with most of the common questions we're getting and the answers to them. Uh, you can see it on the screen. You can click on the link to download it or feel free to email us at info at runnerlaw.ca. Check out the link at the bottom of the screen. Also, please follow our COVID-19 workplace resource on our website, which is updated daily and in many cases more than more than once a day with all the or all the issues arising out of the COVID-19 in the workplace. Uh, but feel free to reach out to us anytime because as I often say, none of this replaces legal advice. And as I often say as well, if you think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. That's all the time we have for season three, episode five of Fire Away. I wanna thank everyone for tuning in. A special thank you to Jody and to Dr. Kotecha. Never get your name right, that's why I call you <laughs> Sham. Uh, but thank you both for joining the show today. We are continuing to help our clients through these challenging times. As I mentioned, when I had my chance to fire away, we're seeing a lot of people still making mistakes. So I encourage everyone to follow our COVID-19 resource center on our website, to download our guide to getting back to business, follow our social media, but most importantly, feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions about your legal rights or obligations as you go through this process. And again, I'll say it, if you think you might need an employment, think you might need an employment lawyer, you probably do. Our next episode will be Tuesday, July 21st. Hopefully we'll be discussing something other than COVID-19, but we will uh, keep our options open at this point. Past episodes can be found on our YouTube channel, on our website, and our archive on Facebook. If you like them, you can like our page, subscribe to our channels to get notifications, and subscribe to our newsletter to be kept up to date on everything that's going on. Lastly, I wanna thank Rob, Rebecca, and Mark, as always, for helping put the show together. And I will see everyone next time. Please take care, stay safe, stay informed.